travellers and welcome to podcast 126 in our series, You Should Have Been There. With me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. And today, uh, we're delighted to bring you the second instalment of our trip to the High Pyrenees, with, in my case, emphasis on the word trip. Now, it's open to question whether our audio diary is a guide to how to go about these expeditions or how not to, but you will be able to judge. First, though, thanks for your responses on social media. On the subject of the Pyrenees, Vern simply says, I'm there now with a smiley face emoji, so clearly doing better than us. And Tim Coxon says he enjoyed last week's podcast, quotes, particularly the unchristian-like boarding of the bus at Lourdes Airport, of course, which is where we started the great trek through the central Pyrenees, the highest part of the chain that separates France from Spain, and to a mountain refuge where 22 people, including us, had emerged from the stuffy Dortois, the dormitory, for some welcome fresh air and much-needed breakfast. Among them was a very sociable fellow called Björn, a Dutchman who was, like many of our fellow refugees, trekking along the GR10, the 866-kilometre path that connects Ondai on the Atlantic coast of France with Banyuls on the Mediterranean. Can you tell us who you are, please? Yeah, I'm Björn, I'm Dutch, and I'm walking the GR10 trail. Started at Ondai, at the Atlantic Ocean, and I'm going towards the Mediterranean Sea. How is it going for you so far? It's going okay. Um, the weather is perfect, actually. Uh, and I'm on schedule. Uh, so I think I'll manage. You are on your own. I'm yeah. very worried. Does this mean you have no friends? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, I, I chose to be on my own. I really like hiking on my own. So during the daytime, um, I'm trying to be alone, which is uh, <laughs> quite difficult to manage. <laughs> and in the evening, in Jeets and Refuses, like yesterday evening, um, you get up automatically. So actually, people think that it's a lonely activity, yeah? hiking for weeks or months uh, in the mountains. But in fact, it's quite difficult to make it a lonely uh, business. Well, I must say, I'm here eating breakfast with you as well. But, um, uh, um, sorry, excuse me, um, that you seem... Um, a uh, very gregarious person you seem at home with uh, people yeah. but I wanted to ask you have, have you had any nasty um, you know near accidents or any of those sort of things because we always nearly do usually it's a nearly a, a no I, I haven't I haven't had any near accidents I do take care that it doesn't happen. I would really like to finish this trail and I wouldn't like to have to stop because of one misstep. Hey? You can just uh, place your foot in the wrong place once and uh, your holiday for months on end is uh, vanished. Um, so what I find myself doing is I climb actually faster than the indicated times, but I descend much slower. I descend uh, uh, very carefully. And um, when I descend, hey, I, I'm always passed by mainly guys, mainly Italian guys. And they, they run down run the hill down. like they are deer. And I think they're a different kind of species than <laughs> I am. I don't know how your legs function if you're able to run down a hill that way. <laughs> yeah, there are two kinds of people that are made of a different kind of flesh, I think. The first are these Italian-Spanish guys of 30 years old that seem to be able to do anything. And the second are children. I did. In a few oh, days, yeah. we'll be at the Vignemale. The Vignemale is the highest mm. mountain where you yeah. come on the GR10 trail. And I did the Vignemale once before. I was really scared. 
yeah. am I going you to have be to able to... Glacier, don't you? A yeah. small glacier. Small, yeah. And I was really, really scared. And I started at five in the morning with this headlight yeah. and, and really carefully. When I reached it, I thought it was the most amazing thing I had ever achieved in my life. Mm. And I got passed by a little Italian boy <laughs> of seven. <laughs> you, are, you are partly staying in refuges and partly camping. How does that yeah. work? You must be carrying a ridiculous amount of gear. I am carrying a lot of gear. I'm carrying something like 18 kilos. Um, and so the periods when there will not be a place to restock for four or five days, you have to take more food. And then I'm almost on 20. So it's actually too much. You should walk lower. But it's also the fact that I'm doing this hiking adventure in September and a lot of places are closed. So taking a tent gives you unlimited freedom, actually. And to be honest, I prefer sleeping in a, in a refuge or a sheet. So usually I try if there's a place. Um, I must say, I differ from you in that regard. I never, yeah, but I never take a tent now because it, they just weigh too much. But uh, I'd much rather sleep in a tent. Yeah, it's a sort of, um, <laughs> it's a lesson I never learned. I mean, I wanted to sleep in this refuge. Yeah, we're just woken up. But waking up is, is, isn't the proper uh, term, I think. <laughs> one dortoir with 20 people. I think if hell exists, it must be a dortoir. <laughs> You're absolutely right. That's it. And I'm going on. I really liked meeting you. It's been great meeting <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, Have a great, great final. Thanks, guys. I like Bjorn, Simon. I think he might have been favourite person that I met during the trip. Um, and I really wish that I borrowed his tent to escape the dortoir hell of the previous night. Um, he, he mentioned climbing Vignemal, one of the significant peaks that are within range of the GR10, a kind of extra bonus challenge for the fitter trekkers. And uh, it made me remember that years ago, we set out from the very high refuge of Baie-Selance, just along the uh, Pyrenees to the east, to scale the mighty peak of Petit Vignemal, which is Vignemal's little sister, if you see what I mean. Yes, it's a kind of shoulder of uh, Vignemal, the highest of all the French Pyrenean mountains. Um, I checked, actually, and the, a guy called Albert Dozat, who writes about the etymology of mountains in France, or their names, says it's derived from two pre-Indo-European words, Vin and Mal, both meaning mountain. There we are. Anyway, yes, um, uh, it was a, a, a chilly old morning and we shuffled in this great long queue of people um, up uh, the, the, the path that leads to the summit and uh, did my uh, vertigo no good at all, but we successfully got there and got back. I certainly am not tempted one tiny bit by Vinmal. <laughs> no, me neither. Anyway, I'm concerned that Bjorn might have made that climb with his 18 kilogram plus pack. And from our point of view, even though we weren't scaling mountains, I thought the uh, Ryanair restriction, which kept our baggage limited, was on the whole a benefit. I suppose it was. And I imagine that my pack might have turned the scales at uh, about nine kilograms uh, maximum. Um, but the problem was every time I needed something from it, I had to take everything out to try and find the thing <laughs> and then repack it, which 
involved compressing it and folding it and rolling it so that everything took up the least possible space. Otherwise, it just wouldn't go in. Well, final preparations before we set off on uh, day two. Um, funnily enough, everybody else has left the refuge and yes, we're still here at nine. a quarter to nine. Uh, quite a lot of that is down to me having to completely repack everything in my tiny bag. Um, but uh, it's an absolutely beautiful day. Uh, we have a substantial picnic, which we have um, bought from the refuge and uh, the sun is shining on the lake and also on the uh, surrounding, uh, well, they're not peaks exactly, but high crags, which are quite sort of well uh, dusted with grass to quite a high level. I've been uh, watching actually the day come to life and it's been absolutely magical, just waves of light washing across the hills and I, we, we, this lake is, is spectacular it's really just a kind of waypoint on our journey but you can imagine people just coming up here for the day walking around it enjoying the light the way that it plays on the water um it's a a, a joyful place to be absolutely and uh um, thanks to your very uh, clever plan, Simon, I now have another pair of sunglasses because I lost mine on the last um, demanding ascent last night, much to my um, annoyance. But uh, you suggested quite rightly that somebody else would probably have left some here at the refuge. And sure enough, there was a choice of uh, sunglasses and many other things, which um, I'm now going to use and then send back. Right. Well, onwards and uh, possibly downwards to begin with, which is good but only to begin with. Doesn't get much better than this. One hour after leaving the refuge, during which we've tramped resolutely uphill, but on a very reasonable path, um, dirt and grass mostly, we have reached the Col d'Ileu. 2,000, uh, was it something? 245 meters, so. In um, imperial measures, that's about, Oh, 7,300 feet. So nearly twi twice the height of Snowden, would that work? So we've come up, getting on for four, uh, 300 uh, metres, which is uh, a, a thousand feet, which is no small matter, uh, certainly for um, people of our um, um, vintage. But uh, on the way up, we've uh, passed plenty of sheep and you can hear some in the background and also a proper shepherd with a proper collie dog and um, he was shouting to his sheep in some strange tongue which I think might have been Bigordin, an ancient uh, local language but uh, I am jumping to conclusions here and um, from here it's uh, well it's downhill for um, quite some way now into the next serious river valley um, after the Coteray one. I think I'm right in saying. Interesting that we almost walked past the coal, we were chatting away, um, without realising we were at the coal. But there, there is actually a big can. There, There is a big can, that's true. Not a dog, um, but the pile of stones. And there are two um, massive peaks, one on each side of the col, um, guarding it, I suppose you could say. Yeah. 
Walking the Pyrenees is really a sequence of hikes between coals, and that's how you calibrate your distance with the help of the uh, uh, little yellow signposts, which give you an indicated time how long it should take you to uh, get to the next coal along. Um, and in general, they're pretty useful, I think. Yes, I think so. And we did quite well. We were generally um, uh, within the, um, I suppose, the normal range in that we tended to get to places, well, particularly if they were down in a valley, because I should add to your coals, valleys. <laughs> it's all about coals and valleys. So instead of uh, traffic lights and road junctions and roundabouts, you're just thinking entirely in terms of Coals and valleys, which is quite refreshing, um, I found. Although on that first um, morning, I was a bit slow due to um, general exhaustion and pain in the shoulder and other kind of um, minor morning woes. Here comes Mick, uh, skipping like a mountain goat across the hills. How are you doing, Mick? Very good, there he is, he's now overtaken me. Um, there's some clouds in the sky, which is actually, of course, greatly um, enhancing the view. Um, it, they're, they're painting shadow pictures on the mountains and actually we've descended so much that we're pretty much at the tree line now. There's lovely patches of dark green further down the valley. And looking all around, this is the most spectacular 360-degree view. Oh, well, this is nice. It's our lunchtime stop beside what looks like a very nice lake, the Lac d'Estaing, a kind of slightly greeny sort of colour, which I suspect might actually be polluted with uh, algae. No one seems very keen on jumping into it, although there are lots of um, Sunday trippers uh, parked around here. And we've been told by somebody who we met as we came down the, uh, down the mountain towards the lac that uh, there was an ice cold beer waiting for us. Um, unfortunately, we turned the wrong way. So uh, uh, we've had to make do with uh, some rather warm water and the eccentric, but um, uh, welcome picnic that was. Oh. Oh, I'm not sure I would say it was eccentric. Um, I've got here uh, so a sandwich, um, white bread um, with um, some kind of terrine, some kind of pate in it. Uh, you've got a one which I ate, which you didn't. This is a, a foam container with um, uh, rice and vegetables in. Uh, very well past its sell-by date, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, right. so I didn't eat any of it. Um, we had a nice touch of paper bag in which it arrived, came with um, a kind of a couple of spoonfuls of raisins. Yeah. And there's an energy bar as well. Yeah, I did say eccentric. I didn't say rubbish <laughs> entirely. Anyway, we've done how long? Three hours, haven't we? Have uh, quite a... Um, quite a demanding slog i'd say um but some parts of it quite easy and pleasant and some parts of it quite difficult including the last descent down through a pine forest where the it was where the uh, where the path was very sort of um slippery dusty gravel kind of stuff because i don't suppose it's rained for quite some time although apparently it's going to tomorrow or is it the day after 
Tuesday is when we're, we're, when we're going to get soaked, yeah. Um, uh, but the sky is looking um, uh, a, a joy. Everything about this is um, is saying, oh, just spend the afternoon here rather than um, doing all that running around. Yes, well, quite, stuff. yes. And then find a, find a, yes, find a beer and then find a taxi. But no, we are made of sterner stuff than that. Five okay. minutes and um, off we go again. It was a very busy day on the GR10, this pedestrian superhighway, and we met quite a lot of people on, on the descent. Um, most of them, of course, better equipped and better provisioned than we were. Did you get to talk to many of them? Uh, yes. Um, I was quite worried about a, um, well, I think it would be fair to call her a an elderly uh, woman who was um, trudging upwards on her own and who asked me was this the way to somewhere which I'm afraid I I didn't know but we did look at the map and discover that it was sort of off to the north somewhere and I asked her if she was all right because she did seem to have quite a bad limp and she said uh, she said oh yes um, I'm okay it only hurts when I go downhill and I was worried that maybe she was condemned to forever trudging upwards <laughs> until she got to the highest point in the Pyrenees. Well, and where she will meet Bjorn at the top of Vignemal. Well, I hope that she is okay. Um, but there were plenty of people around to help her. We found the our equivalent of those Italian 30-year-old males, two young women who just raced past us, very friendly and uh, obviously just left us trailing in their, in their slipstream. Well, I suppose we just have to expect that at our age. Um, I, I enjoyed our <laughs> chat with that English uh, couple who turned out to have just stayed at the hotel that we were on our way to. And uh, because we uh, share heritage with them, as soon as they said, uh, the hotel is run by Francis Basil Faulty, we were slightly <laughs> on edge. And you can hear more about that um, later. Uh, but, but they were a joy. And it was very nice to meet people. Although... This was probably a stretch of the walk that was um, not not entirely to our liking. There's quite a lot on the road. Um, this the Lac d'Estang is a local beauty spot, and lots of traffic going past and buses and things like that. Um, naturally, we've run out of water. A very kind madame in a bar um, helped us out with that, and then I did find a bit of a shortcut because I was you had brilliant mapping solutions but i had google maps on my phone and uh, so i could find um, a, a, a few uh, a few shortcuts to um, speed up our journey but it's fair to say they weren't always your idea of a good thing mick uh, yes, that is true. Uh, although I would actually like to mention a couple of lovely shady stretches of about sort of 20 minutes each um, beside a river, absolutely flat on a grassy path, which was absolutely filled with um, flowers that looked like, I suppose, autumn crocuses, which I oh. discovered later were called colchic. Lovely. Um, can I just uh, outline a possible thing for you, rather than so? so the town centre is over there. Yeah. This leads to a central de vacances, past which there appears to be just meadows going into town. Oh, Unless there's a path marked, I uh, I'll leave you to them. <laughs> I mean. 
there might be fences um i agree it might be all right but i uh, i'm not actually as we've now done uh, nine hours of walking and we're nearly at Oka. i'm uh, happy to take the easy way Well, it's uh, 5.24 French time and I am uh, lying down on a bed after, uh, let me just work this out, a good eight and a half hours walking. And uh, I have drunk one cold Coke, one glass of cold water, and soon after a shower, I'm looking forward to a cold beer as well. This hotel is just outside the village of Aucun. Aucun, as far as I understand it in French, means uh, no or nothing. Or So um, Aucun Chien would be no dog. Aucun Hotel would be no hotel. So um, I'm very glad that Aucun itself does exist. And I'm looking forward to... Uh, enjoying a bit of relaxation before tomorrow's fun and games well it's now just after seven o'clock and we are now looking across at the superb array of peaks kind of retreating into the haze towards the south the sun is of course slowly setting in the west but uh, uh, bringing us lovely images particularly uh, when the clouds drift across and furthermore much more to the point we have a each yes um, and actually you should mention that really the fact that the trees actually go up really high so in fact what we're looking at isn't the usual kind of Pyrenean um, mm. Uh, what you might call rather bare grassy um, uh, flanks of mountains but some absolutely amazing um, uh, fur clad things which we've actually um, managed to stagger down through well yes and looking across at it you think hang on how could you possibly find a path down through those because it is very very steep yeah but we, we kind of managed it without falling off we, we are speaking on the terrace of the Hotel Picor, and tonight you've got a, a, a solo en suite place. And we've also got electricity, for goodness sake. Um, the Wi-Fi isn't working. No, we, that's right, but at least we can charge our phones. Mm, which, which is, uh, yeah, it, it's, so we went, I'm guessing, 30, 30 something hours without charging anything. And in the modern world, that is really quite a long time. Um, yes. And we're going to another refuge tomorrow night. So it goes refuge hotel, refuge hotel during our trip. Dinner was when we uh, had our first encounter with the man who had been described to us earlier as the French equivalent of Basil Fawlty. But uh, it wasn't until breakfast that we appreciated the uh, similarities. Uh, do you think it was a fair comparison, Simon? 
Well, he runs the Hotel Picor, which is an unusual place, very big, very popular by all accounts. Um, and yet on the night before, my light bulb wasn't working in my room. So I took it down to reception, didn't see him. So a very nice receptionist who just said, we haven't got any more. Now, I'm not a hotelier, Mick, but if I were... Um, spare light bulbs would be one of the things I keep out the back for just such an occasion. But breakfast, what a, what a performance. That's the only word for it. The breakfast buffet was copious, which was just as well, because we were in kind of competition with a very friendly group of cyclists from a distant corner of the Netherlands where they spoke a dialect called Frisian. And there were so many bits of kit involved a very elaborate orange juice machine um and a, a, a peculiar basin with timers and all kinds of contractions for boiling your egg exactly the right amount yes and all the while our host was rushing around uh, replenishing the machines and uh, restocking the croissants while talking non-stop to the guests. Uh, sometimes he was joking with them or with us, but more often telling us off for not using the machines correctly. And, and you got a bit of a dressing down, didn't you, for not keeping your very many breakfast items on your tray and risking making the table dirty. Yes, and above it all, a sign warning that if you even thought about taking anything away from the buffet um, there would be consequences um you, you you could if you were discovered um well what, what did you make of it well 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 i was i i was I was both amused and terrified at uh, the thought that I might have um, accidentally um, put an apple in my pocket without thinking and some alarm would go <laughs> and I would be uh, dragged back and humiliated and fined uh, 10 euros. But um, it was all uh, it was all fine and absolutely mad um, uh, and sort of maybe a bit of a relief to um, stride off down a fairly busy road, stopping at a shop which was extremely handily placed to buy provisions for the picnic. Then the tourist office with a, um, a very friendly assistant in the town of Arras to ask her, uh, A, how uh, the town of Arras was actually <laughs> pronounced um, and also about the weather uh, that awaited us then into the hills and upwards towards the first call of the day, the Col de Sausset, where we would be leaving our old friend, the GR10. Well, this is the first serious waypoint of uh, day three of the great trek, the Col de Sausset. Uh, it's about three and a half hours, um, mainly uphill since we left our um, very comfortable hotel. Ah. And Simon and I are in disagreement as to whether or not we're making um, much better time than we'd expected or much worse time. <laughs> but uh, time alone will tell. Uh, this is very windy up here and it is something of a crossroads. There are sort of hikers going off in uh, different directions. And um, interestingly, there's a sign here on this uh, little stone building saying Observatoire de la Migration des Rapaces and that means this is um, a place where you can view uh, migration of um, birds of prey which is of course a spectacular event which happens in late summer early autumn if I remember rightly but I don't know whether it's actually started yet and uh, we haven't really seen many rapaces at all. 
And now we're actually turning off the GR10 onto the GR101 uh, with all that that might hold in store. And I have to say that, um, would you believe it, the room that uh, I got given at the hotel last night was room 101. Oh, Mick, I'd rather see 101 in the context as it's defined in America as a kind of basic introductory course. And I think anybody could benefit if they've not walked in the Pyrenees before by starting off in Lourdes on GR 101 and heading up to the Col des Saucedes, which is where we are going to leave you on what I think is possibly the closest thing to an actual cliffhanger you're ever likely to hear. So until next week... I hope, from me, Mick Webb, and me, Simon Calder. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.